Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Check us out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema as well where you'll get um, brief write-ups on older movies that I see, uh, deep dives into the films of Clyde Barker as well as the Jackie Chan Police Story series among other things. And that is at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. So last year I did a, I started an ambitious uh, deep dive into the class of 1999 movies. And there were still a few movies that I hadn't quite had the time to get to uh, due to time constraints and just how ambitious the entire project was doing uh, essentially one episode one movie, an episode that uh, took a lot of time as far as me between reviewing modern day movies as well as going back to older movies as well. And uh, we're going to catch, but we're going to catch up with one of those movies. And it's one I'm looking forward to talking about because it is a movie I hadn't seen since 1999. And it was great to go back and revisit it. It is Doug Liman's Go. And joining me to talk about that is filmmaker... Jacob Belinsky, thank you very much for joining me, Jacob. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Always a pleasure to talk cinema with a fellow cinephile. So one of the things that distinguished uh, the class of 1999 most was the way that different directors and writers uh, messed with time and the editing process when it comes to telling their stories, sometimes telling them in more sprawling, uh, epic manner, like in Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, which Jacob and I talked about, or something along the lines of a Mobius strip-type first-person narrative that kind of plays with our nature of reality, like Fight Club, which is the other one Jacob and I talked about. Uh, Doug Liman's Go uh, fits within that same parameters and i'm looking forward to talking about it um jacob what was your first experience uh with go i remember uh i was a senior in high school when this movie came out um zero graduated and they had uh i I don't i don't remember what it was uh, what i read about it in probably an entertainment weekly or something but i remember there was this whole thing of like these I don't remember if it was they were talking about like Sundance movies or whatever, but it was like upcoming little kind of indie, but not really indie movies. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that this was like a Columbia film, but it was kind of considered more of like a like a on the fringe type film. And uh, it was it said, uh, you know, keep an eye out for Go, this uh, new movie directed by Doug Lyman, who, you know, from the director of Swingers. And it's sort of like a dark comedy in the vein of Pulp Fiction was how they managed. They, they mm-hmm. put it forward. And it was just like it was this one still shot of. Katie Holmes and Sarah Polly, like in the grocery store, like tagging merchandise or something. It was like a promo pick. And then I, uh, <clears throat> I was thinking, okay. And they're like, it's, it's a series of vignettes and stories set on, on new year's. And I was like, Hey, I like swingers. Sure. I'll go see that. So I, uh, I went to the theater to check it out and honestly kind of was blown away. Uh, <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, um, I really like Go. I was obsessed with it for 
a hot minute for a few years <laughs> after it came out. It was one of those that I would just watch over and over mm -hmm. and like friends would come over and like I would show it to them. And uh, I, I hadn't seen it in, well, that's kind of ahead of the time. I'll, like, I'll, I'll, I'll pause on that. But like, I, uh, I remember like really being taken with it. Like I, like it, it tonally, uh, artistically, it was just, it was, it felt at the time in 1999, like it was kind of tailor made for me. Yeah. Uh, and I know you were talking about like, all the films that you're doing in this class of 99, which of course you were behind because too many amazing movies <laughs> came out that year. So how could you possibly deal with them all? Every time I'm like, oh, what year did that come out? I'm like, I like, I always forget. I'm like, oh yeah, Go was 1999 too. Cause you think, oh, okay, well you got the Matrix and Magnolia and like all the, and Fight Club and all the ones we talked about, but it's like, there are too many. And Go yeah. was this, <laughs> this little dark, like, like enigmatic film with teeth that just kind of caught me off guard. And mm -hmm. it's so simple because, you know, it's one of those, like, I know it's like, if you go searching for it, you type in go like on IMDb or blu-ray.com or anything, it's always like near the bottom of the list because it's, it's such a, like an omnipresent word in yeah. every title, you know, it's like, it's, so it's not really on the top of lists when you look for it. And so it's easy. I think a lot of people forget about it, but it really, I, I felt like, if no one else liked that movie when it came out, I felt like it was made for me. And yeah. that felt kind of special in a way. Um, I, I sort of affectionately used to refer to it as like the Costco Pulp Fiction because <laughs> it felt like like a less prestigious version of that same type of storytelling mm -hmm. technique. But that's really not, that's not fair because uh, I, I mean, I think the performances are great. John August's script is like razor sharp and Doug Lyman pulling double duty as director and his own DP, like does some pretty amazing, mm -hmm. uh, amazing uh, work with like how he portrays and tells the story in this. Like, and I, 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 I'm really fond of it. Uh, my, my, I viewed it last night in preparation for this and I hadn't seen it in, I, I couldn't tell you how many years I, yeah. I, I, I'm like, I'm thinking I've probably been like a decade. I don't know. Like I love the movie. I just hadn't revisited it in a very, mm -hmm. very long time. But, um, it came flooding back, man. And I honestly rewatching it was almost like looking through a yearbook. It was very, I got very nostalgic and rem and forgot how much I love this movie. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, I was, I was pretty taken with it from the get go, I guess is what uh, my ultimate point is. Yeah. How about you? Um, no. And I, I really enjoyed it. And when, you know, it's funny because of the fact that in, and yeah, the Pulp Fiction, the Pulp Fiction comparison, I think is pretty, it's pretty easy to make with this one because of the fact that it all, I mean, it's, it's a tweak on the Pulp Fiction uh, type of narrative um, because mm -hmm. of the fact that John August's story essentially, essentially starts with this, um, this one scene in a break room at a grocery store and mm -hmm. it, each story sort of branches off by their looking basically following a different character that's in that break room at that time. And, uh, you know, it's funny because of the fact that it's in addition to there were, so there were a couple of different trends in addition to 1999, having all of these different, um, narrative tricks and tricks, uh, coming out in movies. You also had a bit of a teen movie boom at the time. And oh yeah. Zombies. And it's like when I, when I watched this movie a few days ago. You mean like the 10 things I hate about you and the she's all that's and all that? Yeah. 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 
and it's like this one feels it feels like this is sort of that genre's pulp fiction like somebody kind of had to make a pulp fiction for the teen set and it's like this is kind yeah. of it where it, where it's it's like grimy and dirty yeah i mean it's it's a dark comedy and it's about crime but it's it's you know it still has that structure in in the pulp fiction vein and i think that's one of the things that's so entertaining about it it's, it's essentially it's essentially a series of three stories, um, each told more or less from a diff- different point of view, and uh, all coming off from um, from this one scene uh, at grocery store break room with Sarah Polly, uh, Katie Holmes, and Desmond Askew, who plays Simon, and. Um, to, so going into uh, Doug Lyman for a bit, I absolutely love Swingers. I I, was, mm-hmm. I love Swingers. I haven't seen it in a while, so I kind of want to revisit it. Uh, yeah. But I love Swingers at the time. So when, oh, from the director of Swingers, hey, I'll be interested in this. And I really was. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and the thing is interesting because of the fact that, like, Swingers was basically about um, – it was it was sort of about late twenties, early thirties, uh, culture in Los Angeles. This one is sort of like late teens, early twenties, yeah. Way. And so it's a little bit younger, but uh, it's it's and it's one of those things where it's like it's almost it's a crime comedy, but at the same time, like crime almost happens sort of accidentally for these people, in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, for because of circumstance, and so yeah, the whole the whole movie like if we're gonna go with the Pulp Fiction vibe, it's like it's like the whole movie like the way that crime and circumstance happens. It's it's like a series of vignettes that that are like in the vein of that moment in Pulp Fiction of oh I just shot Marvin in the face where it just sort of happens, <laughs> and like I I uh, and I, I kind of like it because it is it is blisteringly funny yeah. oftentimes, <laughs> but it also gets unexpectedly dark kind of mm-hmm. out of left field like there's a few moments i'm like oh, i forgot how uncomfortable part of this is like yeah. it's uh, a <laughs> it's it, it i remember thinking it was like very kind of like gritty and lean and mean and not like it, it didn't kind of go out of its way to make things glamorous like you said a lot mm-hmm. of the teen movies did at that time um and it's like while i like here in the midwest can't necessarily say like i relate to like the party culture of you know what is glamorized here or what is portrayed here in like la at the time like, you know, I did kind of, like, remember what that felt like. I mean, I was I was at that time of, like, you know, that age of, you know, like, oh, I kind of want to go out and get into some shit and, like, you know, party with my friends and, like, you know, have a wild night. And this, like you said, this movie is essentially three stories over one wild night yeah. that happened concurrently mm-hmm. that all lead up to the next day. Like, but we get to see, like, you know, oh, this happened while this was happening with so-and-so. Okay, this happened with Simon. Well, this is happening with Rana and mm-hmm. vice versa. And I know we'll get to, get to the characters in a little bit, but, like, I... I remember thinking that felt kind of uh, like unique. I mean, like, yeah, it was, I, I was like, oh, you can make the Pulp Fiction correlation, but it's really just because it's told out of order, which is yeah. nonlinear storytelling, yeah. which, which, you know, we always say Pulp Fiction. It's like, well, he did the same thing in Reservoir Dogs. So it's like, is that a Tarantino thing? <laughs> it's just, that's just a storytelling thing. It's like, well, then Nolan did that in Memento like a year later. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just fucking with chronology. That's all it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but it, it worked really well here because like some of the moments where you get to see like uh not to jump ahead but for instance like you get to see um 
uh, Todd Gaines, played by Timothy Oliphant, who's like, okay, I'm gonna be honest, this is my favorite Timothy Oliphant performance. <laughs> like, it's cards on the table. He is, yeah. he just <laughs> oozes cool from the moment you see him. Um, I really want to show this movie to my mom. It wouldn't be the most comfortable thing to watch with her, but like, you know, she has the biggest crush. Sorry, mom, for if you're, uh, if you're listening, she has the biggest crush on Timothy Oliphant. Like, cause I show, I was like, you should check out Justified, and she got hooked on that show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you want to see one of his earlier films? Because everybody's like, oh, Timothy Oliphant Justified. I'm like, you mean Timothy Oliphant who was in Go? Yeah. Every time I, every time like, I'm like, this is the movie I tie him to. Yeah. Because I just thought he was the coolest son of a bitch I'd seen in a movie at that point outside of something in a Tarantino movie. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the point is like you have Todd Gaines' character having this conversation on a phone. And then you see Simon, who's, who's he's on the other line with, and his story later. And there's all these little moments where you have to remember, oh, yeah. This is referred to there. And like, I, I, I remember like just really because I was sold on the characters It is like, if, if, if you don't buy into the characters, cause it is ultimately just a character piece. Like if, yeah. if you buy, if you, if you're not on board with the characters plights, then you're not going to give a shit about the movie. But I totally was in on whatever was going to happen to all these players. Mm-hmm. And uh, as, as the story played out. And I think that, um, uh, that it just like, there was something about that that I can't quite put a finger on that, spoke to me like it, it cards on the table um i remember seeing this movie and this is uh very early on like i had just been making like little shorts with my friends in high school before i was like hey jake wants to be a filmmaker this was actually pretty formative and influential to me because mm-hmm. i remember seeing this movie and thinking i want to do that yeah. um i haven't made anything like this shia okay i wasn't going to talk about this but like uh this is how I responded to this movie. Um, I went and made a short film with my friends <laughs> after I graduated high school, before I went to college, and it's a piece of shit, and you'll never see it. Um, no one will ever see it. It's I, there's one copy on a VHS buried somewhere in a closet, and it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, but I it basically ripped off Go. I was like, I want to make a movie like that, so I tried to make like a thing with me and my friends, and we all played ourselves. It it sucks, but it was basically just. I saw go and it hyped me up and I wanted to do something like that. Like, yeah. so like, I, I, I can't quite put my finger on the pulse of what it is about this movie, but it just, it just oozes cool to me. And it's from the get go. Like mm-hmm. I, I I'm really big on, it's a tiny thing, but like films that um, creatively play with the opening logo of, of a studio. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes where, you know, you have like the music, like the actual track that is that accompanies a a uh, a logo, whether it's like in this case Columbia or Lionsgate or something, or you know, 20th Century Fox. But then every once in a while, you get a film that maybe like adds a different tint to it to put you within the tone of the movie. Like, oh, okay, like in the Matrix. Well, why does the Warner Brothers logo look kind of like a green computer now? Or like, you know. <laughs> Um, why do you have this score playing when I'm used to hearing the Warner Brothers opening logo? Or in this in this case, all of a sudden, the last note or the note before of the Columbia logo music kicks into the, 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 the soundtrack of the, the, the rave track that kicks in at the beginning of the score. Mm-hmm. And then like it just gets intercut and you have these flash like interrupting cuts to the end of the logo. And I remember thinking it's like this movie is like interrupting uh the the construct of what you're how you're because you're, you're like you get the logo and then you have the the title cards of columbia pictures presents and it's like this movie is like on drugs it's so impatient it has to like cut off the logo and i remember thinking it's the simplest thing but i remember thinking that's the coolest thing i've ever seen at the time i mean like but but i just i like the movie starts off oozing cool and i, I don't know like it 
for me, it holds up. Um, I'm curious to see what it was like for you on a rewatch, but like, it does feel like a time capsule. Like there's some things I had trouble with, like narrative wise, like I, I don't know what it was like at the time, but I remember Sarah Polly's character when I was a teenager thinking, oh man, that sounds like a real plight because she's freaking out about making rent and getting yeah. $380. Yeah. And now as an adult, I'm like, what fucking apartment did you have that cost $380 in LA? Exactly. Um, but I mean, like, like that went over my head now. But so, like, I don't know if I'm just becoming a bitter old person now. But like, it's it's, I didn't catch that at the time. So there's things like that that did not age well, and like the whole techno culture. Like before there was dubstep, before there was synthwave, before everything, it was just called techno or EDM. Yeah. You know, like, and I remember I'd never been to a party like that. But between movies like this, and then there was that one two punch the next year in like 2000 2001, which I'm a big fan of. But they're kind of like underground hits of a uh, groove and human traffic. And I remember between like these three movies thinking, I desperately want to go to a party like that, a rave like that, where like everybody apparently is on ecstasy and they have like the glow light bands around and they're doing like the weird dances. And like, I was never into that culture, but I remember visually thinking that would be really fun to go to yeah. and have a wild night and walk away with some stories of, let me tell, like sitting over uh, at a diner, which this movie literally does at Denny's with friends the next morning. Let me tell you about my crazy night last night. And that's what this movie is. It's it's like almost like a recounting of like the story of what you're telling your friends hung over at breakfast the next day of don't tell my parents, but this is what happened. And like, and there's something charming about that at that whole rite of passage of being like in your late teens, early twenties. And like, I never, I know this sounds really like, I never really like experienced that. I mean, like I've had my fair share of wild nights and parties and everything, but like, I never have experienced what happened in this movie, but in a weird way, I was always like, that would be a cool story that you would talk about for a yeah. while. But it, but the movie, even though it feels dated, still aged okay for me. Like, what was your experience to our response to it? No, I, I, I definitely think I, it remains an entertaining movie. I mean, I was never one of those. I, I was, I was a pretty boring kid in my teens and twenties. It's like I kind of just stayed to myself. And I mean, that's you know, that's that's fine. But it's like yeah. I never had these. You know, I had never really had these instances of like going out and partying and all night and stuff like that until I was like a bit older and didn't really have as many, you know, I, I, I kind of had to grow into that sort of extroverted personality of, you know, that extroverted part of me that would, you know, go and enjoy a night out with people and stuff like that. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, this, this was an entertaining rewatch. I, 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 I'd forgotten so much of it that, I mean, I think that helped because of the fact that I was basically rewatching it for the first time. And, yeah, no, that's uh, what it felt like for me. You know, it, 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 was, it was great to really sort of dive into the cast and see. It's funny just how much of this cast is very much of the moment. Like, yeah, Katie Holmes, oh, yeah. who was Dawson's Creek, Scott Wolf, Jay Moore. Uh, you need to throw you need to throw disturbing behavior in there. I was really, yeah. I, I was into that for a hot minute. But yeah, but yeah, right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, you know, you you just had all these you had all these uh, younger actors who were you know they were they were sort of on the cusp of you weren't quite sure how they were going to be as far as were they going to be lead actors going into movies were they going to be more character actors and stuff like mm -hmm. that and so you had all these younger actors and that that's why I kind of put it with those. Uh, teen comedies at the time because of the fact that um you you just had these this collection of actors of this particular generation and it's like this was oh. this was sort of of that 
art. It is. And when, and when you're reflecting back, like if you think about that, like what you're talking about, like it, it really is a pretty stacked cast. I mean, yeah, you yeah. got uh, Katie Holmes and Sarah Polly and then Desmond Askew, like you said, but then, you know, like, of course, yeah, Scott Wolf and Jay Moore, who were really hot at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you had like a little bit of the prestige of like, you know, well, Timothy Oliphant, he was still pretty young at that point, but like William Fickner, I was like, holy shit, William Fickner, I forgot mm-hmm. he was in this. But then you had Tay Diggs, Reckenmeyer, James Duvall, who were like the 90s guys. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I completely forgot that Jane, Jane Krakowski and Melissa McCarthy show up randomly I, in this movie. Yeah. I mean, very it's early like, Melissa McCarthy. And it's like, obviously I wouldn't have necessarily known her from anything. So it's like I, going back. I did not catch that. That was her. McCarthy. Now I was like, oh my God. But yeah, I can. Yeah. When she answered the door, Krakowski I was like, he was in this movie. I was like, how did I not remember? I was like, I, I feel like I should have, like, first time I saw Melissa McCarthy, we'd be like, oh, that was the one dude's sister in Go that answered yeah. the door. And I'm like, I didn't catch that. And I was uh, just like uh, a couple of other movies we talked about. I, I showed to Emily, my girlfriend, like the first time, the, the, her first time seeing this movie. And she's like, holy shit, that's Melissa McCarthy. I'm like, no, it's not. I didn't believe it when I was on the screen. I'm like, no, I was like, I can see it kind of looks like her. And I went to IMDb. I'm like, son of a bitch. I had like, <laughs> it's like, she's a baby in this movie. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't, yeah, this is before we knew who she was really, or, or, okay. Before I knew who she was, like, she yeah. could have done a yeah. thousand things that I just hadn't seen at that point for all I know. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it, it, it's, it's a pretty, you're right. It is very of the moment. It really, like, it really feels like a time capsule film for me because mm-hmm. it, it, like watching it again, it took me back to high school. And, um, as much as I'm like, I say I wanted like a night like that and sure I've had parties, like. I, that I've been to, I, I really kind of am an introvert at heart. I would really rather stay home and watch a movie than go out and do anything. Yeah. Definitely now <laughs> in my life. But, but back then, like I did kind of have this whole, I think, I think maybe it was the, because I was on the cusp of realizing I wanted to be a filmmaker and mm-hmm. like, a, like, you know, and like, I was like, you know, I was writing scripts at that point, but I didn't know what to do and, and they're shit. But you know, like there was that whole thing of like, you know, if you're going to be an artist and a storyteller, you want life experiences so that you can draw from that and tell that was kind of the appeal. It's not like I really wanted to go to a party and OD or get hit by a car or some of the terrible things that happen in this movie or end up yeah. in a drug dealer's house where they end in like a standoff, like maybe get shot in the arm and like have this night in Vegas where you're having to get chased by these mob people. Like, like I didn't, it wasn't that it was just the appeal of having like these crazy stories with your friends. And that, like, it really feels like, like, you know, sitting, like, watching this movie now, like, it, where I am in my life, it feels like sitting down and having a drink with an old friend and being like, hey, you remember that time that this shit happened? And, like, yeah. you know, maybe, and then then you're, then someone you know tells a story that one-ups, and you're like, holy shit, that happened? And, like, it, it, it feels like, that. it's like a, it's like kind of like a good buddy movie, like, in a weird way uh, along the lines of, like, I just love watching these stories play out. And yeah. like I could sit and watch these characters sit and have conversations in the same way that I could like Jackie Brown. Nothing yeah. could happen in that movie, but I just love watching these people talk. You know? No, um, I, I completely get that. And it's like, yeah, you you do feel like that. I mean, that's exactly what this feels like. It's just a it's a series of stories about crazy nights for these people that yeah you're going to talk about you know the next morning. And that's that's one of the thing that's the appeal of them, and the way they come back, and you know the way they mix and match and come back, and it's absolutely it's it's really entertaining in that way. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and get started with those stories. And the first one is Rona, the character played by Sarah Polly, and Claire, played by Katie Holmes. 
Um, they, uh, yeah, the the main the main part of this for Polly or for Rona is that she needs to make sure she has enough money to cover rent, and she's mm-hmm. not quite there, but she's almost there, and um, so she's she takes um Simon, uh, the third character in that break room, is wanting to ask her to cover his shift so he can go to Vegas. And we'll get to that. But she agrees, and because she needs the money, and so when she's working his shift, uh, Jay Moore and Scott Wolf, as a couple of actors, who both happen to be gay, both happen to be a couple, uh, they come up to her and ask if she has any ecstasy. And you know, she's like, well, I mean, she she ends up kind of, you know, she ends up kind of lying to him and big says, yeah, it's like I can I can get that. It's like, and you know, <laughs> they set up, they they set up a time to meet. So she, her and uh, Claire, they go to um Todd, the Timothy Oliphant character's house. They're going to buy some ecstasy. Uh, she doesn't have enough money for it. So she basically leaves Claire as collateral so she can go and you know she tries to convince Todd that you know oh I'm not going to I'm not going to sell it I'm just I I need 20 tablets and so it's like okay but you know he even he's kind of suspicious on it um because that's that's a lot so uh she goes to um Zach and Adam's uh house and William Fisher's there and he's, you know, he, we're going to find out that he's an undercover cop and he's trying to bust uh, their dealer. And so she, she ends up flushing the drugs because she's kind of suspicious and she ends up not getting the money for it. So uh, she ends up getting, um, just over the counter drugs at the uh drugstore to you know get back to uh Todd so they so they can get Claire back and um that basically leads them to a party where she ends up selling what she has in order to get some money and he and Todd comes to realize this and it's it's a really wild chase through the party that ends up with um, Rona in a ditch, and I'm not going to explain how she gets into the ditch. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it kind of comes out. Of, you're you're like, holy shit, ending. when that happens. That's a pretty dark ending to the beginning of to that first story. It's like, oh my god, I didn't. Expect yeah, the, the, and they just leave that hanging there. I was, I remember, like, I remember being so uncomfortable in the theater because I was like, this movie's fun, and you're like, oh shit, consequence, no. <laughs> and and Todd's like, I don't know what to do with this situation. <laughs> Oh, but I love I love him in that scene. Um, speak yeah, and and for 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 a quick second, like speaking of Todd again, Timothy Oliphant just oozes coolness. Like I oh, I was so obsessed fantastic. with this. I was so yeah. obsessed with this character. This is super douchey, and but I'll admit, like afterwards, I just kept answering. Anytime, like like if like I answered like my phone, I would answer it like him or just speak. Like whenever like he got a phone <laughs> call, I was yeah. just like he's the coolest dick ever mm-hmm. because he's he's kind of he's kind of a, 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 a scumbag, but like he had that like. The dye tattoo, uh, the pair of dye tattooed on his neck, and you know, 
He's just sitting there and that girl's leaving his apartment. He's wearing like a, like a Santa hat. Also, this is always like, like I love watching. I feel like I kind of want to reincorporate this because I love watching like dark kind of movies that take place on Christmas, which is usually Shane Blackfair Mm -hmm. on around Christmas instead of Christmas movies. Like go is kind of a fun subversive Christmas movie because like they keep embracing the whole time. (laughs) Hey, this is our, this is our Christmas Eve, but it's in LA and you don't see snow and everybody's like, you know, it's warm weather. So like, you know, when they're driving around in Manny's car and he's got like all the Christmas lights in where it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's a fun, dirty Christmas movie in a weird way. But, um, but Oliphant, man, like he's just some of his dialogue, John August, like was, was like doing the best kind of, not Tarantino dialogue, but about mm-hmm. as close as you could get, like at the time, like, you know, with, with little things like, he's like, oh, Rana, like when she goes to buy the, the, the pills, he's like, Rana, you know, like I, you know, if you're asking for a favor and, you know, I don't, I give, uh, like, I give, I don't even do my best friend's favor. And, you know, like I give head before I do a favor. <laughs> so you were not even friends. The chances of you getting a favor from me are pretty fucking slim. I yeah. paraphrase and screwed that up. <laughs> but it's just like, like, it's, it's like where those characters talk in those overly, eloquent overly stylized in the mm-hmm. wording type monologues and delivery where people don't actually talk that way yeah. only unless yeah. you're like in a tarantino or a kevin smith movie or in this case in a john august script it's like but it's cool you're like yeah. i don't know anyone that talks like that but please keep talking like that this just feels like elevated conversation um no, john, no the timothy oliphant is great in this movie and uh he he he's he's my next he's my next favorite performance in this movie after sarah Polly. Yeah. Oh, and Sarah Polly is a phenom in this. I, I feel bad. I I don't know if it's that I haven't followed her career more or if she just didn't do as much, but I remember, and there was that stretch in between, but this and Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake, I just remember thinking Mm -hmm. this, this woman is amazing. And like, I, 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 I know she's done a bunch of other stuff probably, but I, for some reason, those are the only two when I'm trying to think of her filmography that come to mind. really transitioned more into directing, which she's a phenomenal director. That's awesome. Now I Um, need to look her up and watch what she's directed. Shame on me. That's awesome. Check out Away With Her or Away From Her. Um, Okay. It actually won Julie uh, Christie an Oscar that year. It was a phenomenal movie. It's about Julie Christie's character has... Alzheimer's. Now I have to. And it's it's a heartbreaking movie, but it's a brilliant movie. And then uh, she also directed a documentary called Stories, uh, Stories We Tell, which about that's okay. more personal about her family. It's tremendous as well. But yeah, she's she's more transitioned into a directing career over the past and- decade or so. Like, yeah, that's it, awesome. I mean, like, honestly, like anything that she's involved in, I, tell you, I yeah. like just because honestly, just from those two, like I'm a fan. I think she's an amazing talent. So, yeah, yeah and, I, um, I'm I'm excited to, to check that out now. Yeah. And before this, she was in uh, The Sweet Hereafter, which was the Amagoy uh, movie, which just okay. which is another just heart wrenching movie. Um, I, I kind of I, like I feel awful that I didn't really like follow more. I just I remember like yeah. loving her in this and Dawn of the <laughs> Dead, and it just, it's like she's just one of those performers that I just like shame on me didn't bother to look up the rest of their work. But yeah, yeah I'm, I, I I I honestly she, just she, off of this alone, I think she's amazing. Yeah, she she's she's def, definitely worth following uh, both as an actor and as a uh, director. But yeah, she's awesome. she's really great, and uh, there's. You know, in in Sweet Hereafter, she has a, a maturity tour that is 
really sort of beyond her years in that movie. And the thing that I like in this movie is that it this movie sort of builds on that and turns it into a really uh, sharp degree of confidence in the character. And like she's she's she she has a few bit of anxiety about everything that she's doing and everything she's going through, but she's she's very confident when she's dealing with Todd and she's very confident dealing with uh Am and Zach and she she just mm-hmm. really knows how to uh she she really knows how to uh play things up for the people that she needs to play things up for in this movie. Oh yeah, just like a, like a tiny simple thing that I really love like uh, the the way that she does that scene where she goes uh with Adam and Zach and uh uh William Fickner's character uh whenever like for her uh, she goes over there and she uh catches a whiff that hey this feels weird. He's like, "Can we make a deal?" And then you know, she's like, "Hmm." She can tell that their cops flushes the drugs and then he's trying to be like, "I just want to make a deal. Can we make a deal?" And she's like, mm-hmm. "No, I couldn't get anything." Hmm. Yeah. I guess I, I probably shouldn't be drinking this beer, should I? Considering <laughs> I'm so underage and all, and then yeah. just makes dead eye contact while she chugs it, I, and I, it's it's so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like she's 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 just a really like really cool character, and her performance yeah. I think is pretty phenomenal in this. Yeah, and she just has really great chemistry with Katie Holmes, and I think this is one yes. of, this is one of the strongest performances I think Katie Katie Holmes has given in a movie. I oh I I'll, I'll, really good in this. I'll agree, um, and I'll, I'll I'll admit um, back 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 when this came out, oh, high school Jake had had one of the biggest crushes on on Katie Holmes. Between this and uh, I hadn't seen Dawson's Creek, but between this and Disturbing Behavior, I was like, "Hey, you!" Before Tom Cruise gets <laughs> ruins things. Anyway, um, but you you uh, yeah, no, like yeah, she was she was kind of. I think uh, th- th- this is definitely a high point for her. I thought she was pretty great. Um, yeah, I. Uh, and I love it. Like, you know, she kind of like, you know, she essentially sort of bookends and streams the movies, uh, streams the stories together because she kind of mm-hmm. bookends the movie. Like, really, she doesn't get, she's not like, the, it's it's Rana and then Simon and then Adam and Zach. Those are the three main title card vignettes, yeah. right? Like, she doesn't, she doesn't even get, we don't even get a full story of her, but she kind of is, in a weird way, the heart that ties a lot of the stuff together. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that, I think that they, you know, for, a character that isn't like a main title card character, she has a lot to do and carries a lot of weight. And I think that, yeah, no, like she, like she, she sells it. She's got a certain charisma and charm about her in this movie in particular that works just really, really well. Um, like, especially like all the, all the interaction with her and Timothy Oliphant. Like I thought like a, that opening diner scene where you're like, Hey, who, who's this person? Who is she talking to? And where that goes at the end yeah. and where it ends up is just, it's, it's, it's really, really enigmatic. I, I, yeah, man, th- this movie just has kind of a, a strange charm to it, and mm-hmm. we we've kind of, well, it comes out. Okay, we'll talk about this because I want to talk specifically about William Fickner, but that more is an Adam and Zach story. So right now you were so just we'll, on we'll, Rana's tale to go back yeah. to your your the the outline of the narrative. Yeah. So um, so the next the so after we see Rona in the ditch and she is left in the ditch, uh, pretty somewhat bleak ending for the end of the movie, but for the end of that part of the movie, but it still has a degree of humor because Todd is like, what, what do I do in this situation? <laughs> like he, he really does not know what to do in that situation. Uh, mm-hmm. We turn to the break room scene and we follow Simon uh, when he goes to Vegas with 
Frankenmeyer, uh, Tay Diggs, and uh, those guys uh, for a night of debauchery. And that is it. I, you know, and thinking about that sequence, and that sequence is sort of a condensed version of The Hangover. And it I really is. Because I, of how when The Hangover came out, I remember thinking this is like the middle story and go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it follows Simon, and it's funny because of the fact that, um, like Breckenmeyer and uh, oh, who's the other who's who's the other character in this? Uh, you have Breckenmeyer, James Duvall, and Tay James Duvall. Yeah, he those guys are sidelined for most of the most of the episode because of the fact that they had too much shrimp at the buffet, which cart cart. It is hilarious that I'm, I'm honestly, like, anytime I've gone to, like, a buffet where it's, like, a discount cheap buffet, I've been afraid to eat shrimp since this, I saw this movie. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to end up like that. <laughs> so, so, Tay Diggs' character and uh, Simon, uh, Marcus and Simon, they go down, and uh, Tay Diggs goes to uh, play Blackjack, and Simon's like, oh, give me, give me, I need my money to, you know, play, and he... He doesn't get his money, so he he basically crashes this wedding uh, that's there, <laughs> and he proceeds to have a threesome with two of the uh, bridesmaids, and um, it's it's really it's funny it's... because it also brings in this crazy d- discussion that they had on the uh, trip up about tantric sex. And yeah, like, oh, like, that the payoff of that joke insane. kills me. Tantra baby, like that. That's just so good, and I love that it's like, it's like, okay, we're gonna have this sequence, and the sex scene is so hot that it sets the room on fire. Yeah. Metaphor <laughs> and pun intended. It's so great, and and like he's, and does he? I can't remember, but it's like he feel he's so euphoric over the experience. Yeah. That it's like he just almost can't believe it. And yeah. he just runs out of the room and No, he looks he look he yeah. looks over like he, he like she's she's on top of him. the one girl's yeah. my favorite thing is like, you know, and I love I love that that brings in one of the times they keep using the title of the movie. Like, you know, because they they're they're like, you know, they, like I love all the times that they use Go. Cause I was like, why is this movie called Go at first? You know, but it's like when they're when they're like trying to outrun the back and they're like, go, 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 and yeah. they keep screaming it over and over. And you're like, okay, this is like Okay, cool. So the, the the title literally is calling to a sense of immediacy, mm-hmm. but then they kept referring to like anytime like you come or ejaculate as like going because the girl's like, <laughs> "Did you go?" and he's like, "No." So then they do that like they refer to that like two or three times like you didn't go once. So it's like, okay, so it's kind of a dirty joke is the title, but it's um, <laughs> but, but I love that because like she says like, "Did you go?" and he's like, "No." Why not? Tantra baby cuts and the sex is still going. But off frame, the other girl is asleep, which I find yeah. hilarious because now the curtain is on fire, which <laughs> which the whole setup of this is they went to go smoke weed in the hotel room. And the one girl, she can't hold it in. So she wads these paper, these tissues up her nose to hold it in and then accidentally sets them on fire and blows it out. And then they start kissing. And uh, but but one of the tissues wasn't out and it yeah. re-sparks and catches the curtains on fire. <laughs> but so at this point. The sex is continuing. The one girl's on top of, of Simon, and the other girl, bridesmaid, is passed out, and then the <laughs> curtains are on fire, and he just is sort of like, looks over at him, smiling. Hey, the room's on fire, and he looks back at the girl, and then the alarm goes off, and then it's like, oh, shit, and yes, grabs his clothes, runs out bare-ass naked, yeah. and then, you know, we're like, hang on, we gotta go, we gotta go, and he meets up with 
Um, I, I love the recurring joke uh, with uh, Teddy Diggs's character, Marcus, where he's wearing that, that yellow that jacket. That yellow blazer and everybody yeah. thinks he works yeah. at the hotel. Yeah. yeah. And the one dude in the bathroom gives him money. He's like, could you pass me a towel? And he thinks he's like, I'm not a bathroom attendant. And then the one dude, this sleazy Guido son of a bitch, like comes up in a sports car <laughs> and tosses him the keys. He's like, there's an extra 10 minutes for you if you keep it close. And it's like, he goes, get in the car. So then they steal a car. So it's like this night keeps like stacking and escalating from threesome burning down a hotel, like fire sex to stealing a car to then we move to the strip club yeah. and then the crazy horse. And, and I love Tate Diggs's whole speech. I think is like, whatever you do, do not order champagne. Champagne. Yeah. You can't, or he's like, you can order any drink. He's like, well, what's vodka? Vodka is vodka, but don't order champagne. It's a lap dance. You can't afford it. They're in there all of five seconds, and the strippers come to him. And Simon, just yeah. with his dumbass, I'd like to buy your most expensive bottle of champagne. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then we move back to the to the back room again because this night has to keep escalating. Yeah. Um, and uh, the lap dance does not quite go as planned. No, oh, oh, obviously very, very Simon key. Do, does the one thing yeah. you're not supposed to do. Exactly, <laughs> and it, important, important. Plot point that we need to mention here. When they checked into the hotel and it comes back again here when they go back to the back room, the bouncer's like, I need a major credit card. Simon is carrying Todd's credit card. <laughs> Simon is a Simon's a drug dealer, but but Todd is Simon's drug dealer. Yeah. So Rana normally buys drugs from Simon. She jumps over Simon, and I love the conversation earlier about the drug pecking order and the hierarchy of you can't go to, you can't go around you can't go to a dealer's dealer dealer that's like breaking the chain. So so now Simon has Todd's credit card. So everywhere that he's checking stuff in, it's like under Todd's name. This yeah. will come back later. But so okay, so he gives the, he gives the bounce of the credit card, and then they go back in the back room for for this this lap dance sequence. Um, also. Brief, brief point that I, I, I love to point out here because you mentioned how James Duvall and Breckin Myers characters were sidelined. I love them. They're great yeah. actors. <laughs> but if you're going to pair Simon up with one of the group, you're going to put him with Tay Diggs because is that not the most charming motherfucker of all time? Yeah. Like Tay Diggs, yeah. Tay Diggs is a treasure and everything that he's in, he's great. <laughs> um, I still stand by and defend and I'm going to get ridiculed for this here. I love him in, and I love the movie, the House of Haunted Hill remake. I don't care. It's a guilty pleasure. But anything Tay Diggs is in is just, even if it's a shit movie, Tay Diggs is amazing. So I love that he's the one that Simon gets paired off with because it makes the night so much better. So so they're in they're in, in the champagne room getting this lap dance. Well, well and before that, though, uh, when they take the Guido's guy's car uh, in the glove compartment, mm. they find a gun yep very important <laughs> forgot about that good call and um so simon, <laughs> simon's fascinated course. with this gun he wants yeah, to be an american it's, cowboy it's like he just because simon's simon's british yeah that's right and so he he just naturally is looking at it, he's curious and of course he takes him to the strip club so when she when he touches the strippers which you are not supposed to do but of course uh, he's going to because he's Simon. Uh, one of whom is the amazing J.E. Freeman, who was oh. a wonderful character actor, uh, most memorably for me in Miller's Crossing, the Coen Brothers film. That is my uh, favorite Coen Brothers movie, so thank yeah. you for citing that one because he's <laughs> yeah he he's great in that. I love I love it, and it's like you have like between him and Fickner, you get this sense of prestige to this movie, yeah. you know, which kind of elevates it in a way, yeah. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, 
So they, so uh, Marcus and Simon, they, he, Simon shoots, uh, shoots one of the bouncers, and um, they get out, but naturally they've left the credit card, Todd's credit card there, and so they go back to the hotel, try to get uh, Breckenmeyer and um, James Duvall's characters out of the, uh. Out of the room before they, before the uh, bouncers come and get them, and <laughs> the funniest thing is they have to bribe the uh, next door neighbor, the next door roommate room's kid, to uh, let them in through there so they can get out. And yeah. Oh they, god. And th- th- yeah, all the stuff with that kid is great. Yeah. And and they uh, do manage to get out of Vegas and uh, drive back to L.A. But of course they left the credit card there, and that's going to come into play um, in the uh, third third story. Uh, to to some of this story, I really enjoy it. I think this might be my favorite story. It's just the most it's the most entertaining, just on a consistent basis. Like it it. It finds its tone and just it just keeps hitting that moment, hitting that, hitting, hitting that button and hitting that button. And, oh yeah, no, no, you're totally yeah. right. In a, in a weird way, it almost feels like uh, if you're looking at all these vignettes, like you know, yeah, they're all interconnected, but because this one actually is sort of like the road trip out of L.A. to to Vegas. It almost feels like its own little short film in the middle of this yeah. other movie, and 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 I I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I don't I don't mean it in a way like it feels disjointed, but like it sort of is like it's that there's I think it works well as story number two because it does feel like a centerpiece. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that because the third part we're going to bring it back to L.A. and we're going to start by following Zach and Adam, and they are. They're basically in the middle of a sting operation run by William Fitchner's character uh, to find their drug dealer, who in this case is supposed to be Simon, but ends up being uh, Rona. And um, we already went through that scene, because, but this time you kind of see it from their perspective instead of Rona's perspective. Um, and it ends up the same way. Uh, what why is it that why is it that Fitzner ends up taking them home to his wife who's played by the amazing Jane Krakowski? Yeah, no shit. Um oh no, I guess I remember like he uh yeah, after after you know they're like, "Hey, we're 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 done, right? You know, we we did our part cuz they were busted. The whole thing is that they were Hollywood actors, they were busted for possession and Fitzner like had them in so like, you know, they're having them try to get this dealer and they were trying to get Simon. Simon's out of town, so he's like, "Well, we're going to get Rana." And he's like, well, "What if it's her first time?" Well, well, it's her first time dealing, or if she's dealing, she's a dealer. It doesn't matter if it's her first or her last time. So they're like, but whatever happens, we did, Adam and Zach are like, we did our part, right? We're off the hook. So Fickner's character is like, yeah. Um, what was his, uh, I totally forget his character. Burke, that's right, Burke is his character's name. So um, I'm going to check IMDb there. So anyway, Fickner, Burke, he uh, he tells him, yeah, you're you're off the hook. I tell you what. You know, um, it's Christmas and my wife made this dinner. Why don't you come over and have dinner with us? Because we both have to work. On, oh, they had to work on Christmas. So they said they were going to have Christmas dinner early. Why don't you come have Christmas dinner with me? And then we'll sign the papers. And they're like, OK. So they find themselves <laughs> suddenly at this uh, at this uh, this guy's house. Um, and <laughs> and everything 
gets weird. And I love, I love, like, this is, this is actually some of my favorite comedy in the movie where the whole thing feels played out. Like you have these, um, these two actors and they're, I don't, I actually don't know that Fickner knows that they're gay and that they're a yeah. couple. Yeah. I like, I, I think that I like, I don't believe that if I remember right, I don't think that was ever like revealed to his character. So, um, you, they, he has these two Hollywood actors over and then they're sort of divided and conquered by, uh, uh, Burke Fickner and his wife played by yeah. Jane Krakowski. And it just gets sh- like really weird where, um, the like, funniest part of this is the, the part that absolutely cracks me up is because at the dinner table, you think they're setting up because of the fact that you're yeah. right. They don't really, you get the feeling that Burke doesn't realize they're gay. Yeah. And you think they're setting up the fact that these two are basically going to try rope them into like an orgy. Oh yeah, you know, you you, th- you think that they're baiting them for a foursome, like you know, they, you think that they're swingers, that it's an open marriage because like because Fickner is with uh, Jay Moore's character, yeah. and in the bedroom, and like you know, Jay Moore comes out of the bathroom, and there's Fickner butt ass naked, just like you know, saying, and he's like he's like here, smell this, and holds out his wrist. He's like, smells like CK one, right? But it's not. Here, try this. I get it way cheaper than I get the other stuff. And and, and Jay Moore's just like, um, okay, your dick's out. What? what? And then, so, he, so and then cross cut over to, to uh, Scott Wolf's character Adam in in the kitchen with Jane Krakowski, who's like bending over to get something out of the cabinet and yeah. does like 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 the stripper look at my ass stand up like oh. I didn't see you there. And then she's just making this awkward erotic eye contact with them while she's like doing the most terrible job. If like, I don't know if you noticed this, but like I, I was cracking up this time, like where she's like, you know, like using egg beaters on like, like cookie batter or like some, yeah. she's making yeah. something in a mixing bowl <laughs> and she's mixing it. And it's all like mixed up around the beaters and nothing is happening. And she's just like <laughs> doing a terrible job of cooking, but just staring at him and he's super uncomfortable. Yeah. And then like, I love that moment where they all four are finally, oh, we're in the same room because like Fickner and uh, Jay Moore's character come in and they're like, oh, which, should we do the red or the white wine? And Krakowski, Jane Krakowski goes, I don't know, what goes what goes with ham? And then both Scott Wolf and Jay Moore at the same time go, white. <laughs> it's just like, and then cross, then cut to them sitting down at the dinner table. So you think that this is all set up for like this, yeah, this giant yeah. foursome <laughs> between like the husband and wife that are like, we're going to bring this new coat, this, these two guys in and it's going to get weird. Um <laughs> And in a weird way, you're kind of like, this movie's gonna go there. Cool, it's fine. Yeah, like, like I was like, if if yeah. the story went there, I was fine with it. But well, then it takes a left fact, turn. It's the fact that it's because of how well the Fitner, Fickner, and Krakowski sell it. Their like, performances they, are are amazing. Are so terrific in this movie. And yeah. You you just get this feeling. Oh my God, they're going. To, they completely sell this. So if they yeah. go there, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. The place, but oh my god, the place they go to instead, and the fact that they're, they're, everything, it basically, they're trying to sell them on an MLM. It's yeah, crazy. exactly. <laughs> we're like, it's confederated products, and Jay Moore's like, he's like, he's like, well, you know, we recruit people, and we're the number one distributor in the area, and fingers crossed, I mean, number, number three, and fingers crossed by March, we might be number two, and then Jay Moore's like, wait, wait, wait. You want us to sell Amway? And then Fickner, <laughs> Fickner with like like acting his ass off, is like it's 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 Confederated products. It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a different it's a different way of life. It's a different quality of product or whatever he says, and it is so good. And then they walk out, and I remember, okay, that was kind of funny. Like when I was in my teens and I saw this, 
that shit was hilarious to me now as yeah. an adult. That that joke <laughs> aged much better over time for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's so like where that goes, and and that's really just the start of the story because you think that the whole thing is going to be that dinner party, but then they leave, and uh, well, I'll let you take it from there because shit gets dark and weird at that point. <laughs> oh no, wait, what's the next thing? They're at the liquor store next, and they both realize because they're okay. Sorry, I'm getting excited. No, I, I really this, this movie is a lot of fun. Like, but I forgot yeah. that the whole conversation to been going back and forth with them is you can tell that they're a couple, mm-hmm. that they're a gay couple. But there's been all this like conversation back and forth. It's been like like these little like snipes and jabs they've been taking yeah. at each other about like uh, uh, what was it when they were in the car doing recon watching Rana earlier. Uh, is they're in the car and uh, Fickner asked something to Jay Moore. Is like it's like so you have a girlfriend? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, totally got a girlfriend. And you know it's. Uh, <laughs> It's like, you know, is she faithful? Not in, no, I don't think so. Are you faithful to her? Not anymore, no. And then, like, Scott Wolf is like, well, you haven't been faithful to, to her. He's like, yeah, but only after I found out she was cheating. And there's kind of these looks. And, and right there, you're like, oh, okay. And then they're in the store, and then they pass Katie Holmes, and Katie Holmes is like, gay men are so hot. So then you're like, you know, like, oh, okay, I get it. They're a couple. I mean, you, you come on, you were kind of already there before. But then, then they had a... Uh, oh, what was the next thing that happened? Oh, okay. So there's been all these little back and forth about how you know that they're a couple, but someone was unfaithful. And then they're at this liquor store, and this comes out, and they're like talking about it. Like, okay, well, who was it? Oh, you just want to know. And then we find out that they both had been cheating on each other yeah. with the same person. Was it Jimmy from Wardrobe or Makeup or something? Something. But like one, that, one yeah. of the guys on set. So, yeah. so now they stay out to to sort of confront Jimmy as sort of a ha-ha moment for both of them. And then they find him at this same rave that Sarah Polly was yeah. at at the beginning of the movie. And it's all kind of starting to come full circle. Mm-hmm. And, and we, yeah, go ahead. And so we find out that, so the reason that, that Rona ends up in a ditch is because she is accidentally run over. And this is where we find out that she is actually accidentally run over by Zach and Adam. Adam, yeah. And, and it's it's just it's them going back and forth about it is and their reaction, like, because okay, hilarious. in in Rana's story, when she gets hit, like it's it's really terrifying. You're like, yeah. oh fuck, and then the car just backs up goes forward, kicks her down a ditch, backs up. Timothy Oliphant is like, what the hell? And then the car drives off, and it feels kind of dark and menacing. Yeah. But then when you see it from their perspective, they're in the car freaking out, like, oh, my God, we hit someone. And then they see Timothy Oliphant, like, motioning, like, what the fuck, with a gun. And they're like, he's got a gun. Go, go, go. And then they drive off and go to the gas station. And, of course, Scott Wolf's character finds out that – and this is a little bit of logic. I'm like – but it, at the time, it went over my head. Um, and there could be some loophole here that I'm just not understanding technolo- technologically. But I think that um, – yeah, okay, so Scott Wolf, he he freaks out, and he realizes that he still has the the wire, the mic that the cops put on him, like, taped oh, to him. He, he didn't give it back. So then, so then he talks to um, – he goes up and shows Jay Moore, and he's like, shh, don't say anything. So they throw it away, and he's like – they weren't listening. He's like, no, they, they, it's all on tape somewhere. They could have been recording it and hear it later. So they think that there's evidence of them talking about how they hit and killed this girl. Yeah. And I'm all I'm thinking is, range, man, that, that wireless mic, like you, you, you're if you're more than a fucking parking lot away, that's not gonna pick up. No, no, no. But but of course, they're paranoid. They're freaking out. Yeah. Part of me now is like, 
come on, you guys work in movies. You've had lav mics <laughs> attached to you. You know that that wouldn't have recorded unless it's some super powerful thing. And I could be wrong on this, but mm. I would be shocked to learn that a mic would record from that far away where they were across town. But anyway, <laughs> they um, so they go back and uh, uh, they, they decide that, OK, well, the thing to rectify the situation is we uh, have to go get rid of the body because if there's no body, no crime. They go back, they find Rana in the ditch. And then there is Rana laying in the ditch, and they realize that she's still alive. So there's this beautiful moment of comedy to me wherever uh where Jay Moore is like actually no, there are two. I don't remember what order they came in. I, I'm probably messing this up, but I remember like one whatever Jay Moore's thinking, Well, we have to kill her now because we were thinking she was dead to hide the body, so he grabs like a club and is ready to club her over her head and he's like Okay, new plan. Oh, no, okay, yeah, that came after. That that was yeah. that cracked me up, but also the little bit where Scott Wolf is in the trunk kind of trying to make room for a body that they're about to go get. And Jay Moore's like, stop! And he's like, what? He goes, it's a Miata! And he's trying to, like, <laughs> clear room in this, like, little lunchbox-sized trunk for a body. Um, where I just I love movies about people trying to deal with a crime mm-hmm. that are just, you know, so inept. And it's like, you're just, this is how you get caught. Anyway, um... So, like, they, they decide to throw Rana's body on a car that sets the alarm go off, and other people, like, go and they call the ambulance. And they're like, oh, she's going to be okay because they realize she's alive. So, um, that I, – I, is that the end of their story? I that's think that kind of wraps up the Adam and Zach tale. Because it then goes to her – Rona in the hospital. And Waking up, yeah. the hospital. Which I like to think is like a, a a prologue to Dawn of the Dead that she woke up in the hospital and decided I want to be a nurse and changed her character path. But that's just yeah. anyway. So she gets out of the hospital and she and I can't remember what did she go see. She we actually she wakes up at the hospital and then the next time we see her is at the grocery store when she comes limping in because from there I think it goes to Katie Holmes yeah. if I remember right because because you know we have we have Claire Claire is like she's still at the party yeah and, and Ron is gone God, and that's how they end up in they basically yeah, she, end up at the restaurant together yeah she walk no she she, she walks home from the party. Yeah, she walks home at the. She walks back from the party because she was waiting by Rana's car. Well, she didn't know Rana was carted out because she was still in the party. Um, so Claire walks back to town, stumbles into a diner, and sees Todd sitting there, and is like, yeah. "Oh, hey, you!" Because um, we kind of briefly touched on it, but like there was this whole substantial bit where, uh, for the pills, like you were saying, uh, Rana left Claire as collateral with Todd. So yeah. she had to hang out for most of the night there. So that's why she recognized him. So anyway, she, Claire, like, talks to Todd. You realize that that's the opening scene. Cut to their hot and heavy making out on the stairs. And, you know, things are going to happen. But then I'm going to spin back around after we're done talking about the plot because we totally glazed over my favorite my favorite scene in the whole movie. Um, but, uh, okay, so then, then Todd's cat comes running down the stairs. He's like, hey, how'd you get out? At the top of the stairs. <laughs> There is the bouncer and the owner of the strip club, the crazy horse yeah. from Vegas that have tracked that, and they've tracked it down because they had Todd's credit card. Yeah. Um, after the whole car chase and car wreck that happened when Simon and Marcus and all of them were leaving town, mm. leaving Vegas, like, oh, we don't talk about anything. Well, so <laughs> Todd's given directions to 
to the to the strip club owner about um uh oh this is how you find simon and traffic's really bad you may want to take you know this re- which i thought was the funniest thing he's like he's like he's like oh thank you that's really considerate and then out of the blue simon comes bursting into the yeah. room todd i need a place to lay low <laughs> <laughs> and it's like everything just the shit it's the van and and claire ends up leaving and you hear this shot well yeah but that was after okay so so todd um (laughs) todd like 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 simon is like you know they're getting ready to shoot him in the head and and claire is like hello witnesses you can't do this and she's like well what is it you really want and the owner goes justice so then cut to simon drawing an x with a magic marker on his bicep (laughs) so that the strip club owner's son the bouncer who got shot by simon can get a retribution shot and then the owner, the, the son can't do it. He's like, I can't do it. It's different if he knows he's going to be shot. So I was like, well, don't mind, really. It's okay. He's like, see, he doesn't mind. So then so then Katie's like, I'm out of here. So Claire leaves. And then, then the gunshot. And you hear just Simon, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're back to the supermarket. Yeah. And we see poor Rana just limping in, looking like, it's like when she comes walking in, I was just thinking, have you ever had a such a shit day and you still had to go to work the next day from the night before? And she's just like limping in, barely together. Like I'm here for my shift because I gotta make my three hundred and eighty dollars for my incredibly affordable apartment. Yeah. Um. Uh. But anyway, she. Uh. So she like yeah. They 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 talk and then they realize where's Manny and we haven't really <laughs> talked about Manny and no. I really want to talk about Manny. But but Manny at the end of the scene he she he was the third friend the one with the the Christmas lights car that was with uh with Claire and Rana for Rana's story and he took two of the tabs of ecstasy that Todd gave and Todd warned. He said, this is not that pharmacy. This is pharmaceutical grade shit. This isn't that, you know, like crunchy herbal rave shit, mm-hmm. I think is the quote. And he said, uh, so he's like only one tab. Don't take two. Well, Manny takes two. He steals two <laughs> pills from Rana and pops them. And so he's, he's tripping balls the whole time. And he's starting to freak out when they're running. When in Rana's story, when she yeah. sees Todd in the club looking for her. So he freaks out and she, Make some a little nest underneath some <laughs> some makeshift like aluminum siding and boxes like a hobo and make some make some a little cubby hole so he can hide and she's like, I'll come back for you later and then completely forgets about him. So yeah. at the end of the movie, Claire's like they're at the grocery store and Claire's like, Where's Manny? And Rana's like, Oh fuck. So they, go, they go looking for him and they find him in the alley, still in his area, looking <laughs> terrible. And my favorite credit in the movie is that alley cat that runs by him is pre- played by, uh, according to IMDb, Princess Leah Lucky Buttons. She's a good, she's a good acting cat. She's a beautiful cat. So this cat runs by, and, and Manny wakes up, looking like he's been hit by the a thousand Mack trucks. And Rana grabs him, and Manny looks at Rana and goes, "You look like shit," which I think is hilarious coming from him. Yeah. And of course, then they go and they find the keys for Rana's car because <laughs> they were lost. And then after she got hit and then they drive away oh, and as they're driving away, we set this up. Uh, Manny, after the worst night ever, leans forward and is like, so what are we doing for New Year's? <laughs> Which is the perfect ending to the movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 essentially go in a nutshell. But mm-hmm. um which, which I love, and like, I, I, okay, I, like, I, I want to hear general thoughts and anything, but I, I've got to talk for a minute because we totally glazed over Manny, and Manny is one of my favorite parts of the movie um, <laughs> because he has the two funniest scenes for me in the film. Now, I, I agree there's some 
hilarious comedy, like specifically like the it's a Miata and all the stuff with Adam and Zach and everything with Fickner and Krakowski's character where they think that they're about to get into like some like weird open marriage gangbang. And then um, all the stuff in Vegas, which is utter hilarity. But there's these two little moments with Fanny, which are like my favorites. And the first one is when the ecstasy's kicking in and he's tripping out and they go back to the grocery store. The reason they go to the grocery store is in Rana's story is because she realizes since she had to flush the drugs after, you know, the encounter with Fickner and uh, Adam and Zach, she's like, well, I need to give these pills back to Todd and see if I can get my money back. So she gets all these like allergy medicines and and baby aspirin and puts them in the tap. And then she takes the extra and then goes back to that, to the rave to sell them to people telling them you should take this with a lot of pot because they're just (laughs) taking allergy medicine and chewable aspirin. That's going to do nothing. But these ravers are like, oh, again, this placebo effect. They're like, oh, this is great. I, to- I totally feel it, man. It's like the world's falling from underneath you, whatever. <laughs> but um, so, so she's in, the, she's in the supermarket getting all these, uh, these like replacement trucks to try to, to try to con over and fuck over the drug dealer. And here's Manny watching the checkout girl. Every time she's scanning something, it's going beep, and he's just in the background in an empty register, just putting his hands over, going beep, like you know, kind of like trying to mirror the sounds. Yeah, and then it, he has this hallucination sequence set to Macarena, where it's her and him, uh, the the cashier and him dancing, and she's feeding him bananas, and he's just like thinking they're having this grand dance sequence, and then it cuts back, and he's just going beep, just like kind of putting his hands over the scanner to make that sound. Like that is comedy gold to me. Yeah. Um, but that's the second tier because the best scene for me is whenever it's still in Rana's story when they go to Todd's house to and she's like trying to exchange the drugs and uh Manny is standing there and all of a sudden Todd's cat that we referenced that we talked about at the end that he comes back he jumps up, the cat jumps up on the back of the couch and just stares at him and there's this uncomfortable like he's he's tr- he's he's drugged out of his mind staring at this cat and um this is important they were they were playing you said it started with the supermarket scene the game that they were playing uh, the three, uh, 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 Claire, Manny, and and Rana were playing in the back is this game called Dead Celebrities, where someone says the name of a, a dead celebrity and whatever, like if you, like, for instance, said like John Wayne, the next person would have to say a name that started with W, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they were doing this back and forth and there was this whole thing where uh, Rana said Malcolm X and Claire's like, you can't do that. No one starts with She's like, no one started. It took me a minute to like, but then you're like, oh, this is a simple game. She's like, nothing starts with X. And there was this whole joke about Manny uh, said, Xerxes, some famous pharaoh guy, starts with X. He could have saved your ass. And so, (laughs) and the cat jumps up and all of a sudden goes into subtitles. And the cat's, the subtitle on the cat says, I can hear your thoughts. And Manny is looking like he's freaking out. And then they have this whole back and forth about like, and he says the name of this like, like, like a, like a some dynasty, like a, like a Chinese ruler or something. And it starts with X. And then uh, Manny corrects him and says no, and says that he says the name doesn't start with an X. I, I would be, I would be remiss to try to pronounce it, so I shouldn't. But uh, he says, um, <laughs> but he says no instead of an X. The name starts with a C. And he goes, he goes, that's wrong. And he corrects him. And then the cat says you're going to die. And then there's because this panic look on Manny and like, it's, I remember, I should have gone back and revisited, but like, like I said, I was pretty obsessed with this movie back in the day. And I remember something on the commentary. I think it was Doug Lyman's commentary. Uh, if it wasn't him, it was another crew member, but they were talking about that sequence 
I think they sent over to like one of the associate editors or an intern that came up with the way because they couldn't figure out how to get out of that sequence because all of a sudden in that sequence, no one else is in the room, not Rana, not Claire, mm-hmm. not Todd. And they're having this guy. And so like they, it's this quick little like montage to come out of that drug hallucination That's sequence. Funny. And I just I for some reason that sequence kills me partially because like I love cats and I think that it's hilarious, but like, it was just, I don't know. I love, I love the Manny moments. I think that he brings a lot of unique comedy to the film. And also, uh, I guess touching on that, the the editing in this movie is great, man. Um, it's really, really well cut. I mean, it's well shot too. Like I, I, I kind of forgot that Doug Lyman shot the movie himself and it's, it's photographed really well. Yeah, and uh, you you really it's you really start to see because his next film after this was The Born Identity, and you really see oh that, was that the next yeah that was yeah, the next one you're you right really see the energy that he brings to this one uh, come into fruition with Born Identity and the way he shoots that and cuts it and just the pacing and the the ability to keep the movie going and that that is one of the things that's really great about this is because of the fact that it doesn't it doesn't linger like and when it does linger on certain scenes it's for a purpose whether it's comedic whether it's for the nature of the story and whether or whether it's to build up tension and that's that's one of the things that's really um lyman is kind of like he like he really hasn't um he hasn't really been sort of top tier level filmmaker. I mean, I think the most recent one they did that like people really got excited about was uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, yeah, which 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 is amazing and incredibly yeah. underrated. That movie deserved to be way more successful than it was. Yeah. Um and... But yeah, like I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think. Actually, you know what? I I really liked Edge of Tomorrow, but I'm gonna go like I really like American Made. Oh wow! I you remember you remember, that. remember that remember that Tom Cruise movie, the one that's like based on a true story? Oh, yeah, like that's that, right. I I, I thought yeah, they did I that. yeah, and I I just now until I looked, I like actually I feel bad. Like I forgot that he directed that, but like he he sort of um. Let's see, he did uh. Well, okay, yeah, so he had Swingers and Go, then Born Identity, then Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which was a pretty big success. Yeah, yeah. And then Jumper and Fair Game, uh, you know, it started to go down. Like, I don't, I don't think he achieved quite as much with those. But then uh, Edge of Tomorrow, which, uh, oh, I guess, I, and I'm looking at IMDb, I guess, are they actually doing a sequel? Like, Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat? I know that they've long ta- talked about doing a sequel to that I, one, which they I, totally I'm should. I'm sure that one was in production yet but i mean well i mean obviously not much is in production right now yeah right now but, but um yeah i mean i yeah it's one of those things that's been talked about by I me mean, i'm not sure like how far along it is so. yeah but but i always i always remember like thinking like doug lyman was always a pretty exciting filmmaker for me like anytime he had something new coming out i was really excited about it um i uh yeah i i, I um i, I think that like you have uh, American Made. I thought was really uh, slickly well done. Again, I, I feel bad. Like I completely forgot that he did that one, but that one was great. But uh, Edge of Tomorrow felt like the probably the biggest movie that he did. I mean, Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Smith was pretty big, but but Edge of Tomorrow felt like oh, it was a big big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I don't know, but they, they always just like you go back to even swingers and go like, you know, they, they just they have this energy and this like fervent immediacy yeah. uh, that I think is kind of like pretty consistent in most of his work. Uh, Born Identity, like, you know, I, I think he graduated to a certain level of patience and how like he built character and story like that movie feels a lot while the action is immediate and that like the visuals are very like uh, visceral and uh, and consistently like vigorous. It's um, it's it's a little more patient where like swingers and go feel like movies like you you've had just a little too much uh, like like, you know, you're you're either on off or on too much of your meds or you just like, you know, (laughs) you're you're, you you just had the right amount of drugs that you're like, come on, we got to go right now. We got to go like like they always have like this really. I don't know. They almost feel like a little like rabid and uh, impatient, right. but in a good way. Like it works for those films. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you know, like, but I always thought, I always think like Lyman is like a really. I always thought he's like a really smart director. Yeah. No, and I I think he he does a great job in building comedy. He understands he he understands the rhythms of comedy as well as the rhythms of action sequences, and I think that's one of the things that's really benefited him in movies like the Bourne movies, like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I mean, even here with Go, where it, you know, the the comedy lands in this movie. And it's like, it doesn't, if it doesn't land in this movie, it's not going to be, this movie is not going to be as entertaining as it is. Oh, no, absolutely. And he understands how to, he, he figures out how to get out of situations. And I mean, part of that is August script as, script as well. It's like he's got yeah. a really good blueprint August script, and uh, so yeah, yeah but this is this is a really good. Uh, this is if if you haven't seen it in a while, or this is sort of a blind spot near Doug Lyman watching. Uh, definitely go back and watch it. I think yeah, I know it's on the Stars app right now, which is how I ended up watching it. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I, it's, I really enjoy it. I highly recommend it too. Like, I, I think it's one that actually holds up. Like I said, it, in some ways it does feel a little dated and it feels like a time capsule movie. Cause like, you know, you're like, Oh, well that's not how, you know, uh, party culture kids are today or, you know, and the music, the music, like it, it feels like a really good snapshot of like things that were good and indicative of the time because like, um, yeah, it's paced really well. It's smart. It's clever. It's funny. The characters are sharp. The dialogue is razor sharp. Um, I think, um, you know the cinematography is great. The, the also the, the use of editing and sound design. Stephen Marion's uh, editing is phenomenal, but also just the way that they use sound design to kind of like put you into like the drug-induced states and yeah. little moments. I think are very very clever. Um, it's very immersive. Uh, it's dark and it's funny. I uh, I I love how it just sort of you're having fun and then you're like oh shit this is this is like it, it messes with you on kind of a a fun level which feels like you're having fun with your friends and then something really shitty happens and it's sobering. Like, so like, it feels very um, immersive uh, and, 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 and appropriate. Uh, I do think that uh, actually, I forgot how much I love the soundtrack in this movie. Uh, the, the score is by BT and Moby who were sort of like the it people at the time, as far as electronic music, but um, all the, all the needle drops, like I love, I love the no doubt tracks in this. And, you know, like this is probably my favorite use of uh, magic carpet ride in the, in the, <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the Vegas sequence, um, yeah. yeah, which has been used in ton of movies, but it's 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 just a fun. It's a good party movie. It's a fun movie yeah. to watch with your friends. Um, there there was a a really funny 
comment that Emily made when we finished watching it. And I, cause I was like, I keep, I kept forgetting until they talk about Christmas. I'm like, Oh yeah, this movie takes place at Christmas. I need to remember this is a Christmas movie. She's like, Oh, and it's all these little vignette stories. So it's like love actually. And I correct her. I go, no, this is the better love actually. Cause I'm sorry. I hate love actually. I, I know everybody loves that movie. I think it's crap. I don't like it, but I like the actors in it, but I just don't like that movie. But I thought that was funny when she's like, it's love actually. I'm like, it's the better love actually is what you meant. So um, go the better love actually. You should absolutely watch it. I, I, I don't even know how I could argue with that. Um, no, it's <laughs> no, the, yeah. And we, we hadn't really talked about the soundtrack, but yeah, the, the soundtrack here by BG and Moby is really entertaining and is really good. And it, it really helps set the tone pretty immediately. And mm-hmm. it, it, it maintains that tone. And it's like, that's, that's one of the things I also appreciate about, uh, Lyman, whether it's in this or whether it's in swingers, where it's like, he, he understands, the ways of using sort of genres of music to get to an effect or get to an yes get to as a way of storytelling. Um, oh, he did he did it with, with swingers and I mean oh yeah some some yeah. of the some of the needle drops in the Born movie uh, the uh, Born Identity yeah, yeah it's it's he's 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 really clever with music I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. I'm I'm glad I got a chance to revisit and I'm glad we finally. Uh, Rabel get to it and I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, me too. Thanks, man. No, it was it was really good to take a trip down memory lane and revisit this and, and chat about it. So thanks for that. I'd like to thank Jacob for joining me on the podcast for Go. It was it's always really great to talk to him and I look forward to doing so again in the future. Uh my hope going into two thousand twenty one is to get the rest of the class of nineteen ninety nine podcast recorded and hopefully i might be able to fit one more in um after before the uh, new year but we'll see uh that's it for this time for the uh sonic cinema podcast thank you very much for joining me at uh wherever you're listening to this whether it's apple google or spotify or even uh podbean i know we're on there and um or at the sonic cinema podcast youtube channel And thank you very much. This is Brian Scuttle saying so long for the Sonic Cinema podcast at (laughs) www.sonic-cinema.com.